our lives in. In fact, Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 both mention the Psalms explicitly as central to Christian faith and life. And in that, there's a sense that the Psalms help us as a community, as the people of God, to, to grow in our shared faith as we worship together. But there's also a sense that the Psalms help not just with community, but with communion with God himself. That we're able to discover deep truths of who he is as we declare and worship and praise him. But the thing is, the Psalms are messy. Really, really messy. And so many times we say we love the Psalms, and we turn to the same four or five again and again and again, and kind of try and ignore the ones about crashing infants against rocks and destroying our enemies, and all this just blood and gore, if we're honest. The Psalms are a really, really messy book. Um, one of my favorite uh, theologians, a guy called Walter Brueggemann, he uh, orders the Psalms into Psalms of orientation, Psalms of declaring who God is, of reminding ourselves, of going, life is good, God is on his throne, he is here and amongst creation. But he says there are also Psalms of disorientation. What is going on? If God is good, why do the wicked prosper? If God is good, why do I suffer? Where is he right now? But then there are Psalms of reorientation. God, you will make this right. You will bring your justice. And actually in that, in the Psalms, we find loads and loads of rich scriptures that start to point towards Jesus, towards the person of Jesus, who he is, God revealed. But today we're going to look at Psalm 13, a psalm written by David, as about a third of the Psalms were, and it is a messy psalm. It's a psalm that we don't quite know the context, but if we know uh, David's life, we can think of a few different places where he might have written it, right? He could have written this psalm when he was exiled from Saul in Ziklag. He could have written this psalm when he was on the run from Absalom. There are so many different stories we might look at and think, oh yeah, I could probably place this psalm right there. So let's dive in. Psalm 13 says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But... I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wow, what, what a painful psalm. Lots of uh, people divide the psalms into psalms of lament and psalms of praise. And there are psalms of praise that have bits of lament in, and there are psalms of lament that have bits of praise in. But actually, I think the word lament is, isn't that helpful? I think it sounds a little softer than some of the pain that we read in the psalms. This is a psalm of pain. David calls out, how long? Four times. How long? 
The great Baptist preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, called it the howling psalm. How long sounds like a howl as you, as you call out to God. Will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? Must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? The truth is, I read psalms like this, and as a worship leader, I think, we just don't have that many songs like that. We don't have that many songs that really bring the fullness of our pain and our heart to God. We don't have that many songs that respond, I think, fully to the pain and the heartache that is in our world. One of my favorite preachers once said, uh, life is fair, it's rough on us all. And often when we gather together to worship, when we gather together in church, we step in from a hurting and broken world to be in a room surrounded with the beautiful body of Christ filled with hurting and broken people. And yet, when we read a psalm like this, it feels a little bit inappropriate. How could this be in the Bible? Is, has God really forgotten David? Will you forget me forever? Are we supposed to read this and go, well, God had clearly forgotten David because that's what it said. Had God hidden his face? Had God given David some sense of sorrow in his heart? What's, what's going on there? I think actually, as Christians, we need to be more open to bringing the fullness of who we are to God and to the church. That actually we need to get a little bit braver of bringing our hearts and bearing who we are, of being authentic, of being real. I mean, let's just think about the madness of it. Church, the one place where we come to worship the one who knows us, who knows our struggles and our failures and our pains more than anyone else, more than probably we even know them ourselves. And that's the place where we come and we sometimes hide all of that, where we don't express that. See, I think um, when it comes to dealing with our pain, I think we have three options. I think we can try and express it and act out on it. I think we can try and suppress it and bury it deep down in us. Or I think we can bring it to God and allow him to transform it, allow him to change it, allow him to do something with it. And until we're brave enough to do that in church, that's not the result we're going to get. When I uh, got my first job working as a pastor in a church, I went on a staff uh, retreat where we were kind of having lots of meetings about the life of the church and what it meant to be a staff team. And I was making myself a cup of tea, as you do. And this guy who I worked on staff with brushed past me and knocked my cup of tea over me. It's not very nice, is it? So I, I was like, do you know you've just made me pour my hot tea down myself? And he turned around, and still to this day, I'll be honest, I have no idea where this came from, but there was some clearly deep story going on in his head that I wasn't party to. He said, well, that'll teach you to think of others then, won't it? Now, whether I'd cut in front of him in the queue, whether I'd taken the last biscuit, I, I don't know. But how was I going to respond in that moment? He'd not just poured boiling hot tea over me, which hurt a little bit, which messed up my clothes. He'd also then gone on to 
gone on to cuss me, gone on to insult me, gone on to say something mean about me. Now, you're probably much better people than me, and I hope that if the same thing happened today, I would not respond in this way, because I'm ashamed of what I did. But I grabbed his cup of water in his hand, took it out of his hand, and threw it over him. Have you ever, have you ever acted like that in your pain? Have you ever taken, just got so mad that you've done one of those things? There's a couple of nods. There's a couple of you that now are looking at me a little bit funny, like, hang on, who's this guy at the front with a mic? The thing is, when we take our anger and our pain and we act on it like that, we have this kind of myth. I think it comes through uh, Hollywood and TV. We have this myth that if we're angry and we punch a punch bag or we express it in some way, if we get it off our chest, that's a well-known saying, right? That that somehow gets rid of it. But it doesn't. It just makes it worse and worse and worse. I'm trying to write a book at the moment about um, forming new habits of discipleship and living a life with Jesus. And as part of it, I've been reading some of the psychology and current thoughts around habits. And I'm no expert or psychologist myself, but There is a common consensus that actually, if you are angry and you act angry, you do something with that, what does it do? It increases your anger. Was it Gandhi who said, an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind? Actually, when Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, that isn't just um, a way of self-sacrifice. That's also a way of self-preservation. Because anger, rage, is something that consumes us and affects us. So, as painful as it is to read these howls from King David, as as awful as it is to read psalms that talk about enemies being crashed against the rocks, what's important to note is here is God, here is David, writing a song to God. David isn't out there going, my enemies have done this, therefore I'm going to take revenge. And we all know David was a kind of volatile person. I'm sure he probably could have done that. So we can express our pain, we can express our anger, we can express our hurt, but it doesn't go away. We go off, we act it out, we come back, and not only are we still the same, sometimes we're just a little bit worse, we're just a little bit more self-righteous, we're just a little bit more justifying of our actions. So what else can we do? Well, as a British person, who spends half of my life saying sorry, uh, even when I don't even mean sorry, I just say it, it's a kind of instinctual reaction. Obviously, the other way of dealing with it is to suppress it. I had uh, an awful situation at my work where me and my line manager really totally fell out, and he was so critical of a lot of what I did, and I found it really, really hard. And I got to a point where, even when I was trying to do nice things for him, he was upset that I seemed to not be aware of the struggle he was going through and there was just such a communication breakdown and it hurt because I love this guy I thought this guy was great but I just thought you just don't understand me have you ever had a situation like that it's a heavy thing when you're working somewhere and there's a total relationship breakdown there's a total kind of lack of trust with what you're trying to do so what what did I do well, luckily this time I didn't go and get the nearest jug of water I could and throw it over him because I'd learned that that doesn't actually help with anger problems. I just suppressed it. I just buried it deep inside. I just uh, maybe muttered a little bit 
to my friends, but just was like, nope, I'm just going to carry on with this. I'm going to keep doing my job. I'm going to prove that guy wrong. I'm going to keep loving that guy. I'm going to just, that's it. It's, it's okay. I don't, even need to, I don't even need to pray about this. I am so fine with this. I am okay with this situation. It is all right. And I got to the point where um, at one of the busiest times of my working year, I ended up having a blackout when I was driving my car and crashing into a curb. That's quite an extreme thing to happen. It took me months to, to help uh, to put myself back together. I had to go and have counselling. I had to go and share with close friends and mentors and spend time in prayer and, and just trying to get over it. Because actually, when we just try and suppress and bubble up our pain, it just kind of rots us from the inside out. And ultimately, it does find its way out, but in more destructive ways. I had a third time, a third story where a a relationship just left me with a feeling of pain, of of disappointment, of anger, of regret. And actually, it's when... um, there was uh, one of my friends who was uh, homeless and an addict and really struggled with alcohol dependency. And he ended up um, in really tragic circumstances, which I can't really go into, uh, losing his life. And I was left feeling numb, feeling angry, feeling frustrated. I was so cross at the world. I was so mad that, that in 20... I think it was 15 at the time. In 2015, in London, such a situation could happen where someone could be treated so badly and forgotten about and let down by the system that they would then lose their life in the way that he did. And I tried to bubble wrap my heart. I tried to suppress it again. I tried to, I tried to bury it. Until one day when I was in worship, I just felt God come. And in a very tangible way, he just popped the bubbles of the bubble wrap around my heart and just brought to the surface all of this pain and I just called out to God. I just cried out to him in all of my anger, all of my frustration, all of the parts where I felt like I'd let this person down and I'd been turning my anger on other people. I just brought it all to God. And actually the moment I did that, I found a freedom in my personal life. I found a joy and a delight in my prayer life. I found that actually some of the ministry that I've been involved in was even more fruitful. We had some incredible stories of people's lives being changed and people being set free from addiction and and alcohol and and all these things. The situation didn't actually change. That person had gone. Yet, taking that pain to God, he changed it. Why would I hide it from God in the first place? He knows anyway. Richard Rohrer, the theologian and writer, said, if we don't transform our pain, we are sure to transmit it. We're sure to pass it on. How often do you pray howling prayers? There's this line from David here, consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Here we have David demanding from God, Now listen, we're not supposed to build a formula and a theology from these sentences here. We're supposed to understand the relationship that David has with God. 
There's so much life and death and calling out to God in the Psalms. The next line goes on, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Because we all know falling over is much easier when there's no one there to laugh at us, right? That's the human experience right there. But David points to the transcendence of God, to his eminence, to his bigness, but also acknowledges his imminence. God, you are here. You must act. You must do something. You must. I think we need to get a little bit more relational in our prayers. You might, I don't know what church background you're from. Um, My church background, we'd love to have different formulas of if you pray a certain prayer in this way, if you have this kind of faith and use this formula and say this thing, then healing will come, then you will find freedom, then this will happen, then the Holy Spirit will do this, will do that. And the truth is, we just need to bring ourselves fully authentic, fully open to God. That actually church should be a place that is full of our mess as we bring it to God. David then goes on at the end, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In our, in our pain, God draws our hearts to him. We learn to rejoice in hope and, and draw upon his love to drink from who he is, from his goodness, from his satisfaction. You know, loads of um, commentators and theologians, when you come to this part, it's such a different, these last two verses of this psalm are so different from the rest that people go, well, these must have been written later, or the prayer must have been answered. Or maybe David actually confessed this to a priest and there's some kind of formula the priest said and then it comes back to this. Or maybe it's a different writer. Maybe David didn't write the end. Maybe David found some deliverance. Maybe David's in denial. Actually, I think we need to understand that sometimes the hardest, hardest pain that we go through is when we understand the heart of God the most. It's the, it's the place where God has our attention, where he has our ear, where he has our eyes, where he has our heart. And I think as a father, I think he, he wants to lead us and guide us through those things, but I think he rejoices in the closeness and the intimacy he has with us. And that isn't always a nice, neat thing to say to someone. That isn't always a nice, neat thing to live through when we go through suffering and hurt and regret. But actually, to sing to God, to worship him, to bring our pain, to be real, to be open, that's, that's true worship. Throughout the prophets, again and again and again, God says, Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Micah 6, 6 6-8, God doesn't require um, our firstborn or some sacrifice to be offered, but he desires mercy and justice and to walk humbly before God. That actually God isn't looking for our worship to be perfect, systematic theology. He's looking for it to be sacrifice. And the thing is, sometimes um, we, particularly in those Reformed churches, right? We're at a URC church here, I'm at a URC church we have this 
strong belief in this teaching in the priesthood of all believers that we shouldn't go to an individual person in a box to confess maybe. Some of you might be from a Catholic tradition and think that find real wealth and health in that and that's, that's a good thing on one level. But sometimes in kind of more evangelical or charismatic or reformed churches we think that our sins are just something that is between us and God. Our struggles are just something that we deal with internally. And we come to church and we smile and we clap and we sing the songs and we celebrate God. And no one would know the depths of hurt and pain we go through. I've grown up in big charismatic churches and they can be the loneliest places to be, can't they? And actually we've gone from the priesthood of all believers to the priesthood of none where we don't confess to each other, where we don't share, where we're not open, where we're embarrassed to come to church and actually say the things that make up half the Bible itself. To actually say the things in the presence of God with the people of God that David would write and lead us with today. So we're going to worship for two minutes. We're going to sing a song. And I just want to encourage you, whatever the state of your heart, And I know we're loads of different people from different places here today. So just bring something authentic of who you are to God right now. To bring something of your life and your situation. Your broken relationships, your struggles at work, your financial challenges, the realness, the authenticity of where you are in all of its joy and in all of its pain. Bring it to God now. To bring to God a worship that is sacrificial. Should we do that together? Let's stand.